friends, welcome to Log On at 11, Spurgeon Baptist Church's online presence during this current COVID season. Uh, it's good to see you again. Uh, at the end of this service, we'll also include communion. That's because normally it will be the third Sunday for communion, but last week I wasn't here. Uh, and our friends from the Botus Christian Fellowship uh, looked after the service. So communion at the end of this service, if you need to make preparation for that, um, pause the service, uh, get yourself organised, then come back and restart it, uh, and uh, you'll be able to engage uh, with one another in this virtual environment. Uh, Right, that's the notice. Uh, The other thing to say is, as usual, we're going to be following a little liturgy just to hold things together. If you've got a print copy of that in front of you, everything in bold type is what we say together. Everything in light type, I'll say on my own. Uh, If you're following on the screen, everything in yellow type is what we say together. So let's begin. In the beginning, before time, before people... Before the world began, God was. Here and now, among us, beside us, enlisting the people of the earth for the purposes of heaven, God is. In the future, when we will have turned to dust and all we know has found its fulfilment, God will be. Let us pray. Loving God, you are faithful, just and forgiving. Help us now to grasp the greatness of your love. Where we have failed to love and loved to hurt, forgive us and heal us. Where we have scorned difference and have been indifferent to those in need, forgive us and heal us. Where we have spoken harsh words to others and have been quick to take offence ourselves, forgive us and heal us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Good morning. Today we're going to hear part of a story from called Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan. Uh, some of you have received a copy from Eric, who said this book really helped him understand how God is not pleased with things that go wrong, that we do wrong in our lives, but that he has found a way for us to be forgiven. God is slow to anger. I will never reach the top, he thought. As Christian looked up, he gasped in surprise, for there was the evangelist standing a little way along the path. He looked sadly at Christian. How did you get here, he asked. Did I not show you the way to go? Christian was ashamed. He began to make excuses. Uh, uh, Yes, you did, but I thought I could get rid of my burden quicker if I came this way. Listen to me once more, said Evangelist. Do as I tell you and go towards the light. 
Do not take any notice of Mr. Worldly Wise's advice. If you continue on this path, your burden will become heavier, you will sink beneath its weight, and you will die. Oh dear, cried Christian, what am I to do? Where shall I go? Then Evangelist helped Christian to his feet and led him to the right road again. This time Christian could see the shining light quite easily, and soon he found the door. Over the door was a large notice which said, Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Christian read the notice, then he knocked loudly. He knocked several times before the door was opened. My name is Goodwill, said the man at the door. Who are you, and what do you want here? I am a poor traveller, bowed down beneath this burden of my own wickedness, replied Christian. I was told to come here and knock. Please may I come in? Certainly, answered Goodwill. Then he opened the door a little wider, and to Christian's surprise, he took him by the hand and quickly pulled him inside. After shutting the door, Goodwill turned to Christian with a smile and said, I always give a pull to those who wish to come in. You see, Satan is not far away, and he will try to stop you entering. Now, come with me, and I'll show you where to go. Can you see a little narrow path? Yes, replied Christian, I see the narrow path. But there are many other paths too. Never mind about the other road, said Goodwill. You just keep to the straight and narrow way. Go on until you meet my friend. His name is Interpreter and he will explain anything you do not understand. His is the first house you come to. Just knock at the door. Thank you, Christian replied. Then hopefully he looked at Goodwill. Could I get rid of my load here, he asked. Goodwill shook his head. No, I cannot take that off for you, but if you keep on this narrow way, you will come to a place where your burden will fall off. So Christian went along the straight and narrow path. Soon he reached Interpreter's house. In answer to his knock, a man came to the door. Sir, said Christian, the man at the gate told me to call here. He said you would show me things which will help me on my journey. Then Interpreter invited Christian into the house. I have many things to show you, he said. I will try and live up to my name and explain everything in a language which you can understand. Lighting a candle, Interpreter held it up so that Christian could look at a picture on the wall. Remember all that you see here, he said. This picture will help you to know the true guide, because I am warning you now that you will meet some who will lead you on the wrong path. Christian followed Interpreter into a large room. It was very dusty. Even the floor had a layer of dust on it. Interpreter called for someone to come and sweep the room. As soon as the man came in and began to sweep, clouds of dust flew into the air and Christian began to choke and cough. Quickly, Interpreter called to a girl, telling her to bring some water. When she sprinkled it on the dusty floor, the man was able to sweep without causing discomfort to those in the room and soon the place was clean. Now, said Interpreter, I will explain all this. The sweeper is the law, like a policeman who can tell you that you've done wrong, but cannot take the wrong away. He can only punish you. The girl who sprinkled the water on the dust is like Jesus Christ, who comes to clean up your heart and remove the dirt of your wicked, sinful ways. What does this mean? asked Christian. They had come to a place where the fire was burning fiercely. A man was trying to put out the fire by pouring on water, but it seemed as this this only made the flames leap higher than before. 
Ah, said interpreter, the fire is the flame of love which burns in your heart. The one who tries to put it out is Satan. Now come with me and you'll see what is happening on the other side. Then Christian saw a man who was secretly pouring oil onto the fire. This is how Jesus Christ works in your heart, said interpreter, helping you so that the flame of love which you have for him will turn into a glowing fire. At last, interpreter showed him which way to take and he set off again on his journey. Along one side of the path was a very high wall and Christian walked along beside it, but there was not much to see and soon he grew weary beneath his heavy load. Then he thought about some of the things he had seen in interpreter's house. He remembered that only Jesus could take away the heavy load of sin. Thinking about Jesus helped Christian to forget his burden and suddenly he reached the top of the hill and saw the cross of Jesus. As he looked at the cross, a wonderful thing happened. Christian's bundle fell down and rolled away down the hill. It rolled into a deep, dark hole and was gone forever. Christian was very happy then. His heart was full of joy and peace. He was so happy that tears came into his eyes. He just stood there looking at the cross of Jesus and crying with joy. Our reading is taken from John chapter 2 and verses 12 to 22. Jesus had just been at the wedding in Cana. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Uh, God has a name and we're up to slow to anger uh, and I've chosen John's Gospel chapter 2 verses 12 to 22 uh, as the piece of scripture uh, illustrative uh, of what I want to say today and I'm going to come to that uh, towards the end of the sermon. It's the piece where Jesus clears the temple. Slow to anger. Um, interestingly, in the Old Testament Hebrew, that's Erek Apayim. And if you were to translate that literally, it means you can it translates into English as long of nostrils. That's what it means. <clears throat> Slow to anger. 
patient, we often translate that uh, into English as there, there's a very good uh, English word from the past, which you don't hear very often now, long suffering. I think that's a really good translation of this Hebrew phrase. Uh, it takes God a long time to get angry, <clears throat> but he does get angry. Um, long of nostrils is interesting, isn't it, to think about that. Just, just think about the physicality of your own body and what happens to us when we get angry. Your chest expands, there's a large intake of breath, your nostrils flare, expand, uh, as you, you know, verbally let someone have it. You just <laughs> tell them what you think. Um, <clears throat> if we were slow to anger, like God, when we get mad, then we would close the mouth. You would uh, purse your lips, you would breathe through your nose. One of the things I'm encouraged to do regularly, both as uh, part of the warming down session at the end of my gym class, uh, and also actually when I'm engaging in centering prayer, to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth and to do it slowly. Uh, Proverbs 14 and verse 29, whoever is Eric Payim, whoever is slow to anger, has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Proverbs 16, verse 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So being slow to anger is about being self controlled you still get mad but you don't explode uh, remember what we've been saying about God God is a relatable being and he made us as relatable beings because he wants to relate to us um, he's not a force like electricity but a relatable being a person I want to say like us but that's the wrong way around uh, we are made in God's image, so we should be like him. Uh, he's not made in our image, much as we would like that to be the case. Uh, and I think we touched on that in the first in this series. Um, the image of God that we have very often is something that we have created. Uh, and it's not the biblical image. It's not what the Bible says. Uh, of God. It's not who the Bible says God is. Um, so we have to be aware of that and we have to be careful about that. And I'm going to come back to that again in a minute or two. Um, God is slow to anger, but he does get angry. And we must acknowledge the reality of this. Um, it is there in the Bible. So we were saying earlier, weren't we, just a moment ago, what picture comes into your head when you think about God, and this is really important, uh, and we un we need to understand that that picture of God, much as we would like to say, oh well, it's all based entirely on what the Bible says. Actually, that is not the case. Very often, uh, the pictures that we have in our head of God are informed by our culture. They're also informed by our family background, and if we've got one, a church background as well, as much as it is by the Bible. And we need to try and pay much more attention to the Bible and what the Bible says uh, 
about God, which is why, of course, we're engaging in this little series at the moment. Slow to anger is what it says. This is what God says about himself in his self-revelation in Exodus 34. Slow to anger, not never gets angry. Um, This is a problem for some people, and I understand that. Uh, An angry God is not something that we like, especially if we think that Christians should be nice people. Um, The Bible actually often speaks of God's wrath. Um, Someone has actually counted up how many times, and surprisingly, it's more than 600 times that God's wrath is mentioned in the Bible. So we need to be aware of this. We need to be um, attentive to what is being said in the Bible about God. I mean, in the New Testament, of course, on the other side of that, we read that God is love. So what's going on here? Well, we need to understand that God's wrath is always expressed against wickedness. Uh, It is never expressed against people that are doing their best, um, but that occasionally mess up, people like you and I. Uh, God's wrath is never expressed against us. It is expressed against the wicked. It's expressed uh, against those who are willfully oppressing others. Um, So God gets angry about injustice. He gets angry about poverty and violence and rape and oppression of the weak and the poor. God is a person with feelings and he feels anger over evil in the world. And when we say God is a person, that's not to limit him. That's to help us understand He's a relatable being. Uh, So we're not trying to limit anything about God when we say God is a person. Uh, That's classic theological expression, God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinitarian. Classic Trinitarian expression of the Godhead. Uh, So we're perfectly, you know, in keeping uh, historically with how the church has understood God. God is a person with feelings and he feels anger over evil in the world. John Stott, a great 20th century theologian and Bible teacher, defines God's wrath as his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. His steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. So when faced with all the evil and injustice in the world, very often the right and healthy, emotionally mature response is anger. And God's approach actually is the right approach. Our anger is usually quite petty. And it's prompted by a bruised or a damaged ego. And our responses tend to be very, very disproportionate. And we're impatient. God, on the other hand, uh, waits patiently. His anger builds 
to the right time and place and it's properly directed against the appropriate peoples, groups, nations. And very often, always in fact, uh, his wrath, his anger and the expression of his anger leads to justice for the oppressed uh, and not vengeance. It's all the all the things that our response is not. Um, God's love, we mentioned, God's love is an attribute of his character. God's wrath is a response to evil in the world. And I would venture to say, friends, we see this most clearly in the person of Jesus. We, we see all of the attributes uh, of God most clearly in Jesus. And I'm, I'm bound to say that because I'm a Christian minister. Um, but it's what I believe to be true. It, it certainly seems to me uh, that Jesus claims Godhead for himself. He speaks about that while he's alive. It's why he's um, arrested and tried by the uh, Jewish authorities. That's what they want. They, the religious authorities of the day regard Jesus as a blasphemer because he claims Godhead for himself. He claims equality with God for himself. So, you know, when we look at Jesus, and I would say to any of you, if you are new in the faith and you wonder what is God like, you can very profitably spend your time reading the Gospels. So read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read those four biographies of Jesus. Spend time with him in those books. Watch, listen, learn. Look at the way he deals with people. Look at the way he deals with those who know that they are sinners, who know that they fail regularly. Look at the way he deals with them. Look at how tenderly he speaks to them. Look at how he receives them. Look at the way he goes out of his way to make time for them. And, and contrast that with the way that he deals with those who are uh, self-righteous, those religious leaders who think they know what God is like and they're quite clear um, and that because Jesus does not fit the mould that they have constructed you know the, the questions that they ask uh, are all about their standard and the standard they have set up look at the way Jesus responds to them look at the way he very often will tear down their false understanding of what God is like. Uh, you can approach Jesus. Yeah. Hebrews, there's a lovely piece in Hebrews, isn't it? Chapter four. Let us then approach the throne of grace with boldness. Um, you can come to Jesus and you can talk to him about anything and everything. He, he is the embodiment of God. He is God incarnate. Uh, we can see it when you when you look at him. This episode where he clears the temple, I think this is fascinating. And it, again, it is troubling for a number of us because this doesn't fit a picture that we were taught maybe when we were children. It doesn't fit a picture 
that uh, the world outside wants to portray. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Um, the, the Jesus who is a milksop, the Jesus who uh, doesn't take offence, the Jesus who is like a doormat. The, that Jesus is not the Jesus that you find in the Bible. That's a construct from somewhere else. Um, it takes bits of the Bible and it just twists and mashes it and and makes Jesus not what he is. Look at what he does. He puts together <clears throat> a, a whip. He makes a whip and he, he moves through this where the trading is going on. Now, when you turned up at the temple to make a sacrifice, um, you had to bring an animal um, that was without blemish. Only the best is good enough for God. Um, now, <laughs> there was a real racket going on in terms of uh, money. You, could, you couldn't use uh, standard money in the temple. You had to use temple coinage. So you'd have to change your money, um, you know, like, like at a bank, uh, like if you're going to Europe, you need to get euros. If you're going to America, you need to get dollars. Um, and you, you'd have to do that. You'd have to go and change your money. So you take your Roman coin or your Jewish coin and you would change it for temple money. Then you could buy your sacrifice because whatever you brought wasn't going to be good enough. Um, you'd have to go to one of the approved vendors of sacrificial animals and go and buy something from them. Now, all of this um, money changing and um, all of the uh, uh, sales uh, booths for animals for sacrifice, these were all in the uh, courtyard of the Gentiles. And I think this is what irritates Jesus immensely. This is the place, the court of the Gentiles is the one place where those people outside of the covenant, this is the one place where they should be able to draw near to God and see something of his character. This is the place where you have an opportunity to catch glimpses of this God. And you can't get anywhere near because people are trading and there's all sorts of stuff going on. There's no chance to be quiet. There's no chance to be with God in that place. And it's the one place set aside for the Gentiles. I think this is why Jesus is so angry, so mad. Uh, and this is why he, you know, he tips over the stalls. Uh, this is why he, he moves through, you know, whipping back and forth um, with his makeshift whip. This is why he wants to get rid of every move them out. This, this should be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves, a den of robbers. He is angry. Don't ever think that God never gets angry. He does. God does get angry. He gets angry at the right things, though. And he is slow to anger. It takes a long time for God to get angry and then for that anger to be expressed. But at some point, it will be expressed. I wonder if, like me, you ever look at what's going on in the world and say, this is not right. When is this going to get sorted out? Somebody needs to do something about this. And sometimes in my prayers, I'll say that to God.
why aren't you doing something about this? Uh, and again, you'll see that in the Psalms. Very often in those, it, there are Psalms called Psalms of Lament. And very often, you know, people will say to God, how long have we got to wait before you act? The problem with most of us in terms of God's anger is not that we, we don't believe that he gets angry. The problem we have really is we think he doesn't get angry enough quick enough. <laughs> we want him to do something now. Um, but he doesn't do something now. He's waiting. Um, Jesus has come, the, be the beginning of the end. Um, one day Jesus is going to return. Um, everything that is wrong, all the things that you and I say to ourselves and to God, you know, how long before this gets put right? When are you going to do something about this? Well, when Jesus returns, that's the time when all of this will be put right. God will judge the living and the dead. Everything that is wrong with the world will be put right. That time is coming, friends. Uh, it is coming. But not yet. <laughs> and that's the difficulty for us. And what are we to do in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, we are to fulfil our calling, which is to be like Jesus, to be like God. So to be compassionate, to be gracious, and to be long of nostrils. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father God, we pray for uh, the persecuted church, for all of our brothers and sisters who are under real pressure from uh, the authorities where they live not to worship you, not to own the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for their continuing witness uh, to all of their friends and neighbours in the most difficult of circumstances. We pray that they might hold a special place in your heart and in our prayers. We thank you, Father, for them and pray that you would give them courage and boldness. And we pray that we too might be courageous and bold in our own witness to our own friends and neighbours. We continue to pray, Lord, for all those who are engaging with the online Alpha course. Ask that they might find encouragement and help as they continue to engage with that material. We remember all those who wrestle with mental health issues and pray for them and for all those who care for them. We're aware, Lord, that this last 18 months or so have been very difficult for a number of folk. And we particularly pray for those who have been in abusive relationships and seemingly with no escape from their abusers. We ask, Father, that you, you would have your hand upon the vulnerable, the weak, and those who feel they have no one to turn to. 
we know that you are especially concerned for the poor. You're especially concerned for those who are oppressed, especially concerned for those who are innocent victims. And we pray that you might move to do something to help these folk. We pray for our friends, for Chris and Ken, Eric, Jay, Terry, Graham, Adrian and Hugh, Les, Dot, Margaret and Bob, Dennis and Shirley, Richard, Thelma, Naomi, Sharon, Georgina, June, Katrina and Mary. Please be all that our friends need in these days, we pray. We gather up all of our prayers together as we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. We say the canticle together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We come to share communion. Uh, the way we're going to do this is I'm going to read the words that I would normally read when we're in church together. I will lead the prayers that I would normally lead. Uh, you'll need a piece of bread and you'll need a little wine or whatever you're substituting for wine. Uh, and we will eat and drink together. And I'll be very clear about when we do that and how we do that. You just follow what I am doing. So. If you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and are in love and charity with your neighbours and are resolved to lead a new life following the commandments of God and walking henceforth in his holy ways, then draw near with faith and take this sacrament to your comfort and growth in grace. Come to this sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come not to testify that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, 
but because in your frailty and sin you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He also said, listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into the house and eat with them and they with me. Let us pray. Lord, we come to your table trusting in your mercy and not in any goodness of our own. We are not worthy even to gather up the crumbs from under your table, but it is your nature always to have mercy and on that we depend. So feed us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ, your son, that we may forever live in him and he in us. Amen. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us concerning the institution of the Lord's Supper. For the tradition which I handed on to you came to me from the Lord himself, that on the night of his arrest, the Lord Jesus took bread and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Whenever you do this, remember me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Jesus offered a prayer of thanksgiving for bread and for wine, and we shall do the same. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for bread and for wine, ordinary things, which in your hands become extraordinary. We thank you for giving us something physical to help us remember you. Uh, your body broken for us, the bread broken your blood shed for us, the wine that we can taste, things to touch and see and taste. Thank you, Father, for putting these things into our hands. As we eat and drink, may we do so with thankful hearts. Amen. So after he'd given thanks, the Lord took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you the body of Christ, broken for us. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. This cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink this, remember me, the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory.
Now go into God's word with joy and peace and love and hope in your hearts. And the blessing of God Almighty, creator, redeemer and sustainer of all, be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.